Hello, hello, my friends. Welcome back to The Conversation, the Naked Leadership Podcast, where no conversation is too precious to be had. It's me, Chad Brown. In this episode, I'm with my comrades, Dan Takini and Adrian Kaler, and we are talking about connecting to current reality. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Conversation. This is Chad. I'm here with the usual suspects and my comrades, Adrian Kaler and Dan Takini. Hey, hey, gentlemen, how are you? Hey, hey, doing great. Thanks so much for joining us on the Naked Leadership Podcast, where no conversation is too risky or precious to explore. So let's explore, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it, baby. I'm ready. What else great. is there to do? <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the when I started coaching with Adrian in my business, my film business, one of the most fantastical conversations that we had is when I finally came to the conclusion with uh, lots of prodding, I'm sure, uh, that most of the way that I was operating was not connected to current reality. Well, shit. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bitch when that happens. Yes. Yes. So let's, I, I think this is going to be a great conversation to have. So many of those that are listening um, are going to find themselves in a similar situation as I did when I first started the coaching context of, oh, well, that, you know, there is a current reality that exists that I am disconnecting from on purpose uh, as a survival tactic, possibly. Right. <laughs> to stay alive. Well, at least our brain is so connected to the way we think it should be. We want to hold on to it. And That's so, right. Reality be damned. <laughs> <laughs> so when let's let's lay some groundwork. When we talk about grounding or integrating current reality, what are we talking about? What does that mean? Yeah. Well, I mean, my, what first comes to mind for me is how much of what is am I willing to see? Mm -hmm. You know, like, what am I willing to view? But, you know, you got me thinking about this whenever we started working together and uh, you and your business partner together simultaneously, we were group coaching the two of you guys and me. And you guys were where lots of people are, um, where most of these conversations begin, especially with clients, is um, like the, the analogy is this, is, is are we, are, do we have cameras on both sides of the table? Because what we're willing to talk about and what we want to, what we want to, the issues at hand are what's on the table. And those aren't, I mean, those are strategically chosen um, for most folks, you know, because we could talk about them. There's not a lot of risk when we talk about them or we're well packaged or we're well rehearsed when we talk about them. We've got some pretty, pretty clear views about them. We, I know my relationship to the thing and and I know what it means, what I, I think I know what it means to you when I talk about it, like all that, that's on the table. When we sit down together with founders, um, there's always things under the table. And most of the time, uh, you, know, you know, we prefer not to look at those things. So, I mean, and I think about current reality, I think about that, like, hey, are there any things that are off limits for conversation? And if they're off limits for conversation, it usually means, um, maybe almost like always means that there are conversations I'm in about them 
that keep them under the table. So when I think about current reality is like, what's, what's, what is the whole scope of what's actually happening? Yeah. What's going on with in the physical universe, as far as, you know, we're sitting here talking on this podcast with this mic, et cetera. And then there's the part of current reality that uh, is how we're interpreting it. Each of us looking at it, thinking about it, because that has everything to do with <laughs> how, what I have to say is going to either be re- Ex, you know, ex, uh, accepted or rejected or investigated or whatever. And, and then how I relate to that has everything to do with it. So for me, there's nothing more important than understanding where we are, like what is actually going on. That's, that would be grounding. Grounding is connecting with where I'm at, what is, what's going on around me. What are the complete resources I have at my disposal to, to bring forth what I want to have happen here. And then the second part for me is that there's nothing more important than understanding how reality works, right? Like how to deal, because that, that goes into how to deal with it. So, and, and then your mindset makes all the difference in that regard, right? So if I look at what's going on, I go, this shouldn't be, that's a different mindset than, oh, this is what I have to work with. Because the minute I don't, I start to resist just what is, I begin to pull away from reality uh, because who wants to deal with something that I think is harmful, bad, broken, wrong, like that. Yeah. And and there's no way, there's no way to find the gem, you know, there's no way to find that gift in the moment. Like when something breaks down to be able to find the, 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 the lesson in it so I can, next time it comes up, I'm much more resourceful, right? Otherwise, I'm just going to keep repeating the past. And that's part of reality, right? It's so, so, you know, we have that saying, that saying that, who, who is it that said it, that reality is, is, um, unforgivingly complex, unforgivingly complex. That's right. Anne Lamott. A- yep. Anne Lamott said that. And I mean, it's so true because there's so much of, I, I like to begin with, I've been doing this in training and when I work with a client and in my own household, when I'm, something breaks down is there must be something I'm missing yeah. because mm. I only see so I see so little of what's going on. So, you know, I guess that takes, you have to start there. If I think I'm seeing everything, I'm going to stop looking for anything. Right? <laughs> yeah. If you've, if you've got it figured out, figured yes. out that shuts off all the curiosity. So I much, think- yeah. So much for you, your, what you have to say. <laughs> I, don't, I don't need your eyes. I got my own. I know you. <laughs> I think about I think about my first job I got when I was fifteen. Uh, prior, the first job outside of working for my dad in construction. I went to a restaurant when I was fifteen, and uh, it's kind of funny. They told me I had to be sixteen to apply for the job, so I lied and told them I was sixteen, um, and got the job. That's why we like you, Chad. Yeah, that's right. So anyway, get the job at at fifteen and start as a dishwasher. Quickly become a kitchen assistant. And one of the roles of the kitchen assistant was every night as we were closing, my job was to go and take stock of the refrigerators to see what food we had, right? I was, they were, my job was to connect to current reality of the state of the kitchen and the supplies that were there. And so I had to be curious. I had to go through everything, see what levels things were at, and then uh, let them know what needed to be ordered and making that connection to, to current reality. Now, 
we had a choice as a kitchen staff, we could not want to order more spinach because it's going to be costly, right? So we could just ignore the stock of spinach and -hmm. put it under the table and hope that we don't run out. Now we all know where that that's going. That's not going to last very long in a healthy, in a healthy way. So I just think about this idea of taking stock, getting connected to what is. And it's interesting as I think about like most of us not being connected to current reality. If we're not connected to current reality, what are we connected to? Well, you know, it's what we think it should be. (laughs) I mean, one of the, the, I love it. One of the basic biases is I think the world, we all do, thinks the, everybody else sees it, the world the way we do. So as soon as they don't act like we do, there must be something wrong with them. And I think that's exactly how it should be. Mm. <laughs> right? It's like, of course they're wrong. They see things differently. And, you know, I think that's probably the most challenging. That's probably the first, I think it's the first bias that if we're going to actually connect, I have got to be willing to trust or question the way I see it. You know, I was thinking about Eileen and I at one point about 10 years ago, we were talking about maybe separating. We were disconnected and things weren't working out. And one night we were talking and I said, Hey, why don't I just like to know what your disconnection is like? Like, what tell me what's going on for you? And so she did. And then she asked me, Well, what's yours like? And so I told her how it was for me. And um and we started chuckling at the end because we realized we were starting to connect in our disconnection by just understanding what that current reality was for each of us. And the next morning we got up and it was so much more affectionate and yeah. you know, there was more, you know, a lot more room to talk about the things that were difficult because we had a sense of and a compassion for where the other one was, you know? Yeah. There's a, I was just thinking about a conversation I had yesterday uh, with a founder, uh, very successful, you know, he's, he's been in, in his industry for 25 years, top of the class, started a new company two years ago. And uh, he's having a conversation with one of the guys that's been with him. And uh, it seems like the guy's not up for it. Um, and that's hard for him only because he doesn't want to know well, up until now, anyway, up until that conversation, there's just lots of conversations he's been avoiding and being hopeful about and like going to give it time and I'm going to wait and see. And then, you know, he's actually got a lot of, you know, as we talk about it, like why have I asked him, like, why haven't you asked him? Well, you know, he's up against it with his wife and his kids. So all of a sudden, you know, he's got lots of reasons why uh, the justifications for why he ought not jump into the conversation just to explore with this guy. So, you know, and that happens a ton. I mean, I don't know a high performer that doesn't sense the distance between the, the difference, uh, the distinction between how they operate and their level of commitment and other people around them. And a lot of their frustration becomes because the, those conversations are different in reality. Like they're creating different levels of results. Yeah. And they, they move all the way back to how they engage the work. And there's no conversation about the engagement and there's lots of frustration. In, a sense, in this conversation, it's just like there's different realities coming from from them and different reality, the other person seeing something differently. They don't talk about that reality, that contextual distinction. And that, that causes, the lack of that conversation is really, to your point, Dan, 
is what causes the frustration, the angst, yeah. the judgment, the distance, the I'm lonely at the yeah. top. Um, because even these people that are hard charging in the market, when they get around their teams, they don't want to be a jerk. They don't want to be judged. They don't want to ostracize. Most of them have been labeled like that at times, and now they're running away from that label. Yeah, and but they don't want to spend the time. Well, or yeah, they ought, you know, it's, or it's like it shouldn't be this way. Yeah, well, they ought to be doing. I mean, what's wrong with these people? Like, yeah, I, I had a founder about fifteen years ago. She was introduced to me by by Mark and. Um, he was afraid she was gonna, you know, she was saying, she was talking about disbanding, basically getting, giving up on her company and uh, she had taken on some VC money and they were gonna dis, disassemble the company. It was just after the the, uh, the tech bubble burst, I guess about 20 years ago, 50, 18 years ago, just after the, the bubble burst, the tech bubble, she had ridden it out. Uh, she had taken on money just before it burst, ridden it out and then started to turn the company around. Then 9-11 hit and it was a service, uh, you know, a consumer service, a luxury consumer service. So it took a big hit on both occasions and 9-11 hit. So she lost all of her performance bonuses and that figured that there was no way to stop this VC from just dividing the company up and they're going to have to send their people back. And I said, well, let's talk about them. Let's, what are they up to? Right. And we found out that, well, you know, they had taken a flyer. They were going to, they were trying to diversify their fund, go into a tech, the tech sector from the bios tech sector. And, you know, it didn't work out and this was their first time trying it. And, you know, they put 13 and a half or so million into this company and, you know, here it had went through both of these problems and she, she thought for sure that there's just no way to help them. And I she wanted to know, you know, what would you do? I said, oh, no, I, we got to look at what's there. We have to look at what the numbers are, what the background of the people we're dealing with. We found out all kinds of stuff like, they were trying to minimize, they wanted to get out of this crunch they were in. They were trying to minimize the loss they had. They had given it to a junior partner and um, he really wanted to make partner and this was a big deal for him. And so if he could, we could show him, you know, we've learned all this. So if we could show him how he could lose less money by doing what we wanted him to do, which give us a chance to bring on our investors, reduce the debt, you know, that, that they would lose a lot less money than just breaking the company up. And, you know, sure enough, it worked to turn the thing around. But the possibility for that to happen came out of calibrating or, you know, grounding ourselves in what the reality was like for the other person. And the biggest struggle I had with working with her was not to project how she would be in the situation if she was over there. What was really over there? What were the set of interests that were at the table with the junior partner that was dealing for them, with the pressure he might have been feeling with what she could offer them to show that even though they were going to take a hit, it would be a few million less if they went our way than if they went their way. And it was a matter of 30 days we had the deal renegotiated and she'd been struggling with it for months before that. So yeah, yeah it just opens up, right? It just, you, and, and if it wasn't, I, 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 I remember telling her, look, if we get all these, this reality on the table, that's why I call it forensics, right? Like, it's like researching a crime is understanding current reality. And once you get there, you don't have to worry about the possibilities because if, if I can really calibrate or do my, you know, through my forensics, calibrate with what's there, 
the possibility comes out, right? I mean, yeah. she she started seeing things and mm-hmm. the things that we started developing actually ended up being the long-term vision because of what we saw was possible out of what the current reality was. So, yeah. Yeah, it shows up it shows up so simply for me sometimes and and this was when I say simple, I don't mean easy. <laughs> and I want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about courage in this and courage to to get connected with current reality. But one of the most valuable questions <laughs> that ever came out of my coaching with you, Adrian, and I use it all the time in my coaching now with executives and founders and entrepreneurs and creatives is the simple question, well, have you asked them? Yeah. <laughs> right. When there's a complaint, like, did you, hey, by the way, did you... <laughs> That's what I was for them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. And it's like, oh my gosh, how did I not think about that? Or we have all these excuses of why that wouldn't work and how we're going to expose ourselves and, you know, all of that sort of thing. But I love that. Well, have you a thought to ask? Yeah. You know, it's funny because people get, some of the, the executive teams and founders I've worked with, I know Adrian, we've worked together with, it seems like a pain in the ass right? To do what we're talking about. Oh, I just don't have the time. Mm-hmm. And one of my responses is, well, how much time do you think you're going to spend correcting your, misgu- your misguided plans because they weren't connected to reality? How much time do yeah. you think that's going to take? But what really happens is if people start to, you know, as I know, I started doing this more and more, it's like a, a runner's high, right? You get a, you know, after you practice, after you work out for a while, you start running or, you know, riding a bike or whatever. You, you start, you get this endorphin rush, like a high after you've done it after, and then pretty soon you start looking for forward to the process. But I yeah, think yeah. that the same thing is we could call it, you know, uh, the mistake learners high. I mean, when, because you know, when something's not working, if you just get down in it, you're probably going to find the resource right there in the problem. If you can just get grounded in the reality of what's going on and kind of pull off, off of the fears and all the stuff that goes on and, up between your ears. Yeah. yeah. I think that's probably. I'm thinking about a conversation I had yesterday as well with this guy's a top creative at an international firm and you know, somebody had just left one of his like guy hopefuls had just left to go to another firm. Um, and there was a story about why he left and, and all this, but the story about it was so vague um, that we spent a lot of time in the conversation about the person leaving. And I said to this guy, I just said, well, do you want more people to leave? And, and he, of course, chuckled. He said, no, of course I don't. And I said, well, the, the lack of curiosity about why this one left te- tells me, or at least indicates to me, that something else might be more true. Because if you're not willing to see why he left uh, and then correct around it, then you're, pro- you're actually living an invitation for others to go. Because you don't know how many others are, are like two of the five steps from leaving already. You know, so um, the rest of the conversation was about uh, with this gentleman is, are you willing to go find out where other the, your rest of your team is located? Because wow. right now they work for you, <laughs> but they might only be a little bit working for you. They might already be working. They're always working for themselves. And they could be working for somebody else while they're working for themselves. That's right. <laughs> That's right. <clears throat> this comes up all the time. And we, we talk daddy? about it. Who's yeah, your we. <laughs> We talk about it all the time where it's like the everybody takes a job because at some point they are personally connected to the corporate vision. Um, but most leaders don't take the time to your point, Chad, to slow down 
and be willing to see what the, the other performer on the field, what their personal vision is. Because the, either the connectedness between personal vision and corporate vision, like whatever, wherever those two conversations are, if they're integrated, you've got a person that's going to drive, kick ass, be involved, yeah, be yeah. forward leaning, wants to get better. If those things are integrated, if they're not integrated, then it's a matter of time before the next thing the corporation did to me is the indication that I should pull this escape hatch and get out of here. But most folks don't want to know, right? We'd rather just not know, We'd rather not know current reality about what's going on in the heart and mind of my players on the field because I don't, because, you know, I think they make up, they don't know what to do if there's a distinction. Or for in this guy's case, if they want more money, I can't give them money. So he'd rather avoid the conversation. Yeah, or, or what, the, what tends to happen, I've noticed both in, you know, it's happened for me in the past and I've seen it in some of the, guys we coach, gals and guys we coach, in it, because I'm not going to, I don't want to touch reality. I don't want, I'm, I just don't want to get in there. It looks like too much work. I just push harder on the vision. Yeah. Right. And That's gas right. people up. And, and pretty soon people go, wait a minute, <laughs> this isn't connecting, right? This doesn't make sense. So it's like, for me, there's a little bit of a kind of a principle. It's like vision plus reality plus commitment equals fulfillment. Hmm. And it's like, I've got to have that idea of where I want to go. I got to really connect with where I'm at and then be willing to do what it takes to get to where I'm committed to being like, like that, that commitment, that determination. And then that just that process is fulfilling in, in my experience, because even if things are bad, you know, Adrian, I was thinking about our recent kind of corrections we had to make uh, in our own team and, and just being able to connect with where people were, the, the resolution emerged from that. It really, it's, it's just a beautiful process, right? And, right. We, and you can see who needs to stay on and who, who, who ought to go. And oftentimes those who ought to go know they ought to go and they'll, they'll step to the plate, right? Because they see it's better for them. They start to connect current reality with their own vision, with what they really want for themselves. And if it doesn't align with where we're headed or where the team's headed, then better they, they follow what matters to them and better for us to move on. Right. Even though there may be some mourning or you know sadness in that, it's beneficial. Right. Yeah. The writing on the wall becomes apparent. Right. You're yeah. not going to thrive in a in an environment where we are intentionally connected to current reality. Mm -hmm. Because you've been hiding in the vagueness, in the in the in the things that are above the table, and and ignoring the things that are under the table. Yeah. <clears throat> so why does this? why is this such a courageous act of, and I don't want to glorify it. I mean, it's some, it's a work that we it, we're all called into, but it also, from my perspective, takes a lot of courage sometimes to get connected to the current reality, especially when we're dealing with sunk cost. Like we've been in yeah. this, we've been disconnected from reality for so long. I don't know if you guys experience this at all, but for me, I, I, told, I, I think about the time that I have spent in the, in the made up reality and that makes it even more, even harder and an even more courageous step to, to step into and, and re recognize what is current reality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what, what makes it courageous? I mean, it's uh, because it is a choice to, invite uncertainty you know you're you're stepping into an unknown 
Um, and we don't, I mean, inherently, our brains love predictability. So like, I, you know, so we, we we're, we're hooked to that. And, you know, there, there's a, there, you know, we're all committed. I mean, anybody listening to this podcast, you know, we're committed to some kind of really amazing future. So if I were to collect some data that, that breaks the, I don't know, the romance of a straight line between A and Z, yeah. like I got to give up, you know, I mean, I've been thinking about like perfectionism is, is like emotional romance. Like there's a way, there's a, there's an experience um, of what it, what I, how I want it to be for me. And I, I really want that experience. And so uh, that's really kind of what perfection is because perfection could be around the data points, but I think it's really, it's so integrated between how people see themselves. Like I don't, I don't know an, an, a non-anxious perfectionist mm-hmm. because, you know, you're putting yourself on a tightrope and you're stringing that rope a mile above the earth. So you can't fail. And so getting connected to current reality and collecting data that might be seen to the person, the perfectionist to the hard driver as a problem, you know, then that's going to break the story they've got about how it ought to be. So it takes courage yeah, uh, especially especially in the context nowadays where people love to be overwhelmed. <laughs> they don't say they love to be overwhelmed, but just based on how many people say they're overwhelmed, you know, what we would say, like if somebody's continually claiming overwhelmed, they must love it. Yeah, There's something you know, about it. Yeah, it, it. I think, and when you think about courage, it it's it's an odd, it's kind of an ironic or par- it's ironic because. It, 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 if you really think about it, it takes a hell of a lot more courage not to be connected with current reality because you're going to get blindsided a lot easier that way. Mm. <laughs> but I think the courage that we're talking about is the willingness to disturb your world, disturb the way you think it is. Right. I mean, you know, That's disturb right. how it should be. I don't know about you, but so many of my so much of my dissatisfactions in resisting what is because I'm tenaciously clinging to what should be, right? I'm not willing to give up the way it is or the way I think it should be for the way that it is as if the way that it is is somehow inferior. And I'm, you know, and, but that's really the pathway to the, you know, to the, to the promised land. Mm-hmm. And I think the giants, they are, that we face are just the things we project into the process. I mean, so often I've found the very resource that's wanted and needed shows up initially as a threat because it it doesn't fit the way I think it should be. So it represents kind of an ex- existential threat. Like, oh no, you know, for instance, um, I don't want to talk to one of the common things that like you were talking about, Adrian, is, and you're talking to somebody, I'm, I was working with a, with a founder and they, it was time, for, you know, they were going to do a board meeting and they were afraid to be transparent and talk about what they were going through for fear that the board uh, would stop supporting them. And my point to him was, if that's the reality, would you want to face it now or later when it means even more? Yeah. And if facing that, what if you could learn how to 
how, would you like to learn how to get them on your team if they aren't? First off, we don't know that they're not. And if the, you want them to be on your team, do, would you want them, you know, if you could get them on your team, would you? And he said, yeah. I said, well, then probably the way to get them on the team is to understand where they're at and how they got there and what might be missing that they're not seeing. But in order to get there, you've got to be willing to hear everything they have to say and you're going to, you know, are you willing to be transparent? Are you willing to be so open that they too, it calls them to the surface. And then if they reject it or they're not willing to get behind it, then they're not getting behind what's really going on. So do you want to stay in something that you're not going to be able to get the resource out of anyway? Right. And we, I mean, this took a long time because it was frightening. It was an ongoing dialogue, right? Over a couple of days, but eventually he started to see, yeah, you know what? This is worth the time because I'm just spinning my wheels here and I can't do it without them. I actually need them on board. So, yeah. Yeah. Dan, I'm, I'm incredibly interested in this comment that you made uh, just a few minutes ago where when we're willing to get connected to current reality, <clears throat> excuse me, when we're really willing to get connected to current reality, the possibilities come out of that. Like, yeah, like, yeah, as a, like as almost as a natural reaction to getting connected. So I'm curious on both sides of that. What is it when we're not connected to current reality that prevents possibility from coming out? Why, why is it hard to see possibility when we're in pretend land? And yeah. what causes the possibility to come once we get connected? Well, I mean, if you think about it, right? It, the, I, I think of that, that uh, it's a pretty popular analogy about two kids fighting over an orange. And uh, they decide to split the orange up because they, you know, but they're, if they would have stopped and understood why each one of them wanted the orange, they discover one wanted the meat for, for juice and the other one wanted the, the rind for a, for a pie crust. Well, if they would have stopped and found that out, they would have got twice as much of what was needed. But in order to do that, I have to risk losing what I have. And in this case, many times I have to lose, risk losing the way I think it should be. Right. And so it, by connecting with the way that it is, by looking at the way that it is, I, I give up the way it should be. I first go through kind of the, Oh, that's not how it is. That's not how it is. I start feeling how out of touch I am with, with what's going on around me. But what starts to come out is because is the necessity that's there that needs to be handled. And all possibility is anchored in the necessity. Like if I'm going to get, like, if I want to go to, to, to Paris from San Francisco, and I really get clear about the reality I'm in, I'm here in San Francisco, in California, and Paris is, a, a, you know, I is across the it's across the oceans, right? So I know one thing, a car won't get me there. So I need either a plane, I'm, I'm going to need a combination of a plane, a, you know, a boat, maybe, or well, I'm going to have to figure out how I'm going to get across the ocean. But if I'm in San Francisco, and I think it's possible to get to, to Paris in a car, I'm never going to get there. And no matter how much I hold on to and get committed to using the car, I'm never getting to Paris. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, it's, it seems oversimplified, but how often do we do that? How often do we argue 
for something that's going to be irrelevant if I if I just checked into reality, really got into the depths of the reality. Because at first it can look like it's going to it's going to do it. It's going to make it. Like you're driving across the U.S., you feel pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and you're spending your time. Filling the, t- filling the air in the tires, putting in the fuel, turning you up the tunes. <laughs> make a great time. You know, you get to New York and shoot, you got there in three days. You're really cooking. You're, you, you, you expect to get to, to France for any time now. And then, well, then you're really pissed off because there's an ocean in your way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It hits me of, you know, guys that I meet that have spent years on a business plan which is a good idea. I mean, I don't know, you gotta have a business plan. I mean, spending years on it is probably something else, but you know, you gotta get a business plan together and then you start. And then you gotta face reality. (laughs) Right. And then, you know, to your point, like, you know, you've got this kind of romantic notion about how it ought to be, the way it was back when I was in the boardroom writing this thing up and typing this thing up late at night, talking to all my friends about it and doing all my Google searches about competition, da 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 da. It's all sounded great. And then, you know, reality comes. I mean, I love it, Dan, when you say, like, nothing ruins a plan like reality. (laughs) Nothing more entertaining either. Nothing more entertaining than watching a plan collide with reality. Yeah, I, I, I was thinking about if by entertaining you mean frustrating, I'm on board with you. Depends on you. Like, like I said in the beginning, you know, it really depends on your mindset. I mean, how yeah, we, yeah. it's the mindset we bring to this thing. It could either yeah. be entertaining or just depressing. Yeah, yeah. But Allie laughs because, because she'll hear me say all the time, well, here we are. And I say that like so many times, like here we are. And which is a way of just like letting myself be here instead of wishing I was somewhere else. Like, oh, okay, well this night didn't go the way we thought or that plan didn't go the way we thought or I'm not feeling the way I wish I, you know, I thought I would be feeling or, or what have you. It's like, oh, here we are. It's like, which is a way to like calibrate myself and just let myself, you know, it's like, it's that, it's that star on the map, you know, like whenever I think Chad, whenever we were working together, I would talk about current reality like that. Mm-hmm. as an analogy like when you walk into a mall and you want to get to Nordstrom or wherever you know you go to a directory if you've never been to the mall before you're in a new city and you go to the you go to the directory and you see where you want to go that's great and then where you inherently look next is to find a little star that says you are here because if I'm committed to going there I and I, I can wander my way there you probably walk the whole mall and find it yeah it take a long time um, which is option it might be interesting you know um, but if you want to get there in the most efficient way, it's good to know where you are. Um, but you know, that you, there might be some bad news there. It might be, Oh, we should have parked somewhere. Else. I mean, that's how many, uh, how many times have I done that? Where it's like, I look at the map and I was like, why didn't I park over there? I should have parked over on the other side. Now I got to walk all this way. And now I'm complaining. And I was just thinking about why it's rare for me to find somebody that doesn't hate meetings. And, and I'm connecting the dots here for me. It's like the despair of meetings might come from, um, yeah. we know we'd, we'd rather not hear where people are around the table. So it's like a facade. It's like this fake thing we're doing, talking about something in the future. And, and, and I mean, we, we had on these conversations all the time about most leaders don't train their people how to think about and then talk about reality. 
because most people are blamey, shamey, avoidant, complainy, and who wants to talk to somebody like that? So they'd rather not ask because it usually comes out like that or comes out in a limited way. And so they, they say they want to avoid meetings, but part of what they're avoiding is I haven't trained my team how to talk about reality in a way that works. Yeah, or just how to, yeah, how to connect with it. I mean, I, I, think, That's right. I think we spend a lot of our time with each other and, and with other clients in this process. It's really interesting because there's so much done on vision and so little done on what it means to connect with reality and understand how it works. You know, that whole idea of the obstacle is the way is so, has been for me very resourceful because it, it means like, look, whatever you're up against that's stopping you, if you get connected to it, it's got the, it's got the key in it. The gem is in there. The, the, the lesson, the, the resource, you just can't see it because you're resisting what's there. If you just be willing to get connected to what's there that looks like a problem, you're probably going to find the key it's sooner or later. It might take more time than you like. Again, it, reality might be that it takes more time than you want it to. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. most people see fight seeing what's true when it's not what they want it to be. That's just the bottom. I mean, I, I'm relating. I'm not pointing any fingers here. Yeah. I know that's my initial challenge is I got to get over my little tantrum about what I want it to be. Yeah. Yeah. I connect so deeply, Dan, when you talk about forensics. And I think about when you said, you know, the possibilities come out of getting connected to real to, to current reality, I, th I see that connection as that forensics process mm -hmm. that is investigating every nook and cranny. Like when I think of forensics, I think of such intentional, pointed, very specific investigation. Well, you, you think about it, learning is a, it's a loop, right? It's a real-time loop of feedback. Yes. Yeah. So to, to do the forensics, but one to, to do the forensics, I have got to be willing to be radically transparent. Otherwise, you know, learning won't occur because it's a product of this continual real-time real -time feedback loop in, in where we make decisions, right? We see their outcomes, we improve our understanding of reality as a result, and then we get more and more competent about shaping what we're committed to out of what's there, right? Mm -hmm. And without being radically transparent as well as, because part of the forensics is being clear and, and real about what is going on for me and, over, and, and what I'm dealing with as well as who I'm working with. I really believe the more open-minded that I am, the less likely I'm going to be to deceive myself. You know what I mean? Mm. Open-minded meaning like I'm willing to hear, listen for, if you will, I'm willing to listen for what I prefer not to hear, but, but is good for, but what is necessary for what I long for, right? I'm dealing yeah with that tension, what yeah. I want, and like what I'm really after in the future and what I'm holding on to now, probably what I'm after the future wants is going to cause me to listen to something that's going to change what I'm holding on to in a way that can open up the possibility for this future declaration to come to be, right? Come into yeah. existence. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, something you said, Dan, uh, that really, you know, hit me for myself personally and, I use it a lot in, in the conversation with clientele is this, I, I rarely talk about reality now without saying to contend with reality. Yeah. To contend with it. Um, which I like a little fight naturally. 
Um, uh, you know, but I was just actually looking up, I, I hadn't ever looked up the definition of the word content. Um, I liked the one I had made up about it, but it's pretty close to the one that's actually real. Um, one of the four, I'll pick my favorite as we do, is to struggle for, mm. to struggle for, to contest. Um, and that's what I think about, I mean, another conversation, I had lots of conversations yesterday, another conversation with a client, um, she was four minutes late to the call, which is great for me because I know there's something going on. <laughs> and it was, you know, not all learning is equal either. Like we can learn about something like, you know, we can learn information. I'm always Googling stuff or I'm looking up definitions of words all the time. And that's interesting, like informational learning, but transformational learning is like, a, is taking a look and seeing this internal process that, that creates the experience I'm having and the results I'm creating. You know, so we spent, you know, a good amount of time doing the forensics on, on why she was four minutes late or what was actually there going on for her in the background, really. What's, what was the software running that produced these results? And it's, maybe it's a good time to talk about it. I think most of the lack of embracing of reality, a lot of it anyway, comes from um, the human being's inherent you know, uh, reaction, which, which I see all the time is, is shame instead of acceptance and embrace. Right. So people, when they're late for a meeting, they, I only bring it up because they're committed to being on time. So when they're not on time and almost everyone like feels bad about being late and asserts that I feel mad or something, just by the way I'm bringing it up and they go to apology and, and all, and, you know, saying they're sorry and, uh, and all these things. And I don't, I don't, I always tell them, Hey, no bad. Really. This is not a moral conversation. Let's just look at what was more important than keeping your commitment. Um, and the, the self-protective shame conversation usually protects us also or stops um, the learning that's there because she was up against like, she had a call with me coming up and then her boss's boss said, Hey, I need you for five minutes. Mm -hmm. And there was nine minutes before my call. She said, I have a call in nine minutes. He said, no problem. It's only going to take five minutes. She knew then not true. Not going to be just five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, and she knew it all along the way. And all of a sudden she's in the meeting, but she's not in the meeting. She's also in despair in this meeting, but she knows she gave up her word to keep, to be in this meeting. And she, you know, this was idea of contending with all those tensions is what I'm, Connecting Dan to what you're saying, like there's lots of these, you know, all these yeah, different variables that you're you're very aware of, and then you like hopefully they'll go away or they they'll deal with themselves or, you know, or I'm going to use my unwillingness to deal with them as a reason for why it didn't work. That's right. You know, and it's a it's interesting because what you bring up is really. It's, it's, it's like, if it, what makes somebody believable is what I keep thinking. Like, mm -hmm. I don't listen, like, how, who do you listen to? Because you're going to get all kinds of feedback. And is that all reality? Well, sure. But who's, you know, it's reality, but is what they're telling you believable? Because if I'm, if I'm dealing with somebody who's unwilling, if I'm working with somebody, they're unwilling to give up their perspective just to look at what's going on all around their perspective that it makes what they have to say even harder to believe. Right. And, but I, I can see it. Right. And so part of what makes 
things believable is a people are transparent and you can see that they're willing to challenge their own point of view, right? They're willing to um, risk what other people think of them in order to get at the truth. That makes something believable, what comes out of the conversation. Two, what they do or how they correct causes results. That makes it believable, yeah. right? The, so who, because I, I think a lot of times I've had execs tell me, well, should I believe everybody? Well, no, but if they're working for you and you don't believe them, if they're not believable, that's another conversation. <laughs> what makes them not believable? That's a firing conversation. Right? Well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe they're, or maybe you're out of recognition and you're pissed off because sure. what, it's like, so you got to get a way into that, right? Well, yep. What's going on between you and them that you'd continue to work with them, not believe them, and then now take on that? on top of you on, on on top of everything else you're doing yeah like so now you've got a, a node a, a person out there who's got a world and you're not believing what you're getting from them and they're critical to your work turning out and the quality of your culture you might want to think about that one for a little bit yeah yeah i'm i'm and thinking maybe, maybe it's a mixed bag is what i'm hearing you know it's like there's there's benefits to be naive, but lots of, you know, you got to carry it as well. And software people know when they're being naive, you know, know when they've been pandering, know when they've been avoiding. And, you know, I, I know, I know when I haven't had all the conversations I need to have. And, and when somebody realizes you smell it and that you're not judging them for it, you're actually inviting yeah. them into a new relationship. I think that that forms a, a deeper sense of meaning between the the parties. And if it doesn't, and they choose to leave, then you know that's probably appropriate so that you can find someone who's going to fit the culture there and they can go fit, they'll find a culture that's going to work for them. Yeah. Right. I mean, that that's really, there's so often the fear that I'm going to be left holding the bag with more than I want to do. Well, I, I've seen it so, work on me and I've seen it work on other executives where, you know, you have that saying, you go, well, you know, at least I get this much done. I'm willing to, I can tolerate it a little longer, right? But I don't do anything about it because it's, it's like I'm in despair, but I can tolerate it. So let's call that happiness. <laughs> and then I've got these, and then, and then I've got this like mitigated accounting I give to the board or to my investors about how it's turning out. I'd be a little better, but I'm kind of stuck with this this guy here because if I let him go I'm going to lose here so I'm more about not losing something than okay here's what it's going to take to recover and here's how we're going to, here's how much more we're going to have as a result of this, yeah. and this it's like know. yeah like throwing a dart and drawing a target around it yep it's like ah there <laughs> target <laughs> I always love that when you do that in the training room Dan it's so fun isn't it true yeah. I mean I know that it's, I'm just telling one on myself so many times my I'll never forget when I, and I told that story before about my grandfather hired me to mow his lawn, right? And pay me a hundred bucks a month in, in 64. That's a lot of dough. Mm -hmm. and, and I go out there and I work my ass off and kill his lawn. And then he gives me a swat in the head when I go to get pay, paid and says, you know, look, basically long story short, I didn't pay you to work. I paid you to make the grass the green. If the grass is not green, I'm not paying you. I don't care how much you work or how little you work. That was like, wow, you know, that was one of the first times I'll never forget. Wow, this is a different world. I thought I was yeah. going to work hard. 
Yeah. One of yeah. the ways, one of the ways that this connects, <clears throat> this topic connects to me or one of the ways that I see the rubber hitting the road um, and where I get caught up is in, in our work, we talk a lot about uh, we create the reality that we live in, right? We, we see things through our lens. We see things through our stories, um, through our experiences, all of that kind of stuff. So how do we get connected to a reality that is not through, those, through that lens? Or maybe it still is through that lens, but does the question make sense? I'm, I'm, I'm fumbling no, with it a little bit. Let me see if I got it. What you're saying is, hey, how do we break this prejudice up, this bias that operates in us, that the world, that what we're seeing is reality and that we yes. And I, I think that, you know, our brains are, are unique to all the other animals. I mean, we have a lot of things that are, I think nature gives us the answer is what I'm saying. Like we have the ability because of our neocortex, highly developed neocortex to see ourselves or to, to get above what's going on and look down from a higher perspective and synthesize an understanding of what's going on. Like I could see myself operating while I'm operating. Mm-hmm. And, and that gives me, and I can notice my biases. Right? I don't know how many, how many times it is, it's happened to me where I thought one thing and then I noticed that that was a bias. Right? Like, oh, wow, it's not like that. So, how, but if I'm in survival, I, that, that ability shuts down fast because the brain shuts it off so it can be protective. So I've got to actually get to a place where I'm welcoming this and aware of my own fear of it. I can see my fear. I can look down on my fear, have it, and not have it trigger the whole fight, flight, a peace kind of survival mechanism in my amygdala, right? I can, like, when I see, like, I know I'll never forget, you know, when I boxed, how afraid I was, or when I played baseball to get, and that fastball would come over, you know, I was afraid, but I noticed my fear, and I could, the more I could use it instead of ha- having it pull me away, the better I was. I could hold it, I could see it, so I could move myself into it pretty soon it disappeared, right? So I think a lot of it, has to do with just, it's, a, it's an awareness. And I don't think a lot of, you know, I think it, it, it's becoming more popular now. I mean, it's becoming more mainstream in business that people are realizing that the, the, the game of business is an inner game. It's a game of mentality. It's a mentality game. It's a mindset game. And mm-hmm. so getting hold of my mindset is what makes the biggest difference. They used to call it a soft skill. But now they realize it's the skill between behind the hard results. So to be able to control your emotional world, so you can connect with the physical world, has a huge makes a huge difference. And those things are starting to be trained into the corporate culture, and we're kind of people are getting a hold of that, and it's making a huge difference. I think. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's what we're we're all about anyway. With with our founders, is the whole head game, the whole mindset game, because if you don't get that game down. The rest of it's going to go continue to do what you say you don't want it to do. Yeah. When it's all about market conditions, yeah. not about mindset, that doesn't open up very much at all. But you think about it. It's all about market con- conditions. What can you do about that? Nothing. <laughs> That's right. But, but you can do something about the way you engage it, right? Right. It's really so many great business folks have made big money and made a huge difference and created great cultures around 
building this kind of thinking into their culture, like being transparent and open, right? And, and, and really authentic about what's going on and listening and, and calling out the mindsets that are, that are uh, affecting what's going on and exploring them. But if you're just there as a stepping stone to your career and you're just using that environment, you're going to show up like a sore thumb with somebody who's really committed to the excellence and well-being of the product and the people working there, et cetera, et cetera. That, that's going to be a different game because they're going to have something worth being radically open and, trans- and transparent about. You know? yeah. they're, they're going to get the impact that that has. And, they're gonna, and so no matter how talented you are, if you're guarded and, and unwilling to exercise this kind of thinking and listening, you're not going to, you're going to, it's going to get, you're going to get blown out. And the only way to do that is to change your mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about with our, with our folks, even if, if we were to run the tape, Dan, about, you know, how we talk about our clients to one another or how we talk about our potential clients to one another, it's, it's it's funny now to think about, you know, where we usually start is like how open somebody was. Yeah. You know, because because we we have to work with them, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and <clears throat> I mean, the, the crux of like a, gr- a great coaching relationship is the um, boldness of the feedback and the willingness of the party to take a fresh look based on feedback. You know, cause I, I think part of part of my answer to your question, Chad, of like, how do I get a mindset is like, how willing am I to entertain alternative points of view? Like on reality, like, cause what is real? I mean, I, for myself and even with, with clients, I'll talk about, well, is that real or is that true? Cause there's a big distinction between what's true and what's real. I'm always living in what's real to me. And that might be very different than what's true out there or what else is also as real, you know, to others. Right. So how, you know, first off, am I open to it? But beyond that, I mean, I, I you think about what, what it what might be an x factor for high performance is like not only being open to feedback but i want feedback please tell me what i'm not seeing please tell me what i'm not hearing please t- please help me see what i'm blind to you know like yeah. that that level of humility and that level of openness and like just commitment to finding out what's also true beyond you know what my ego says i mean that's really powerful when you know, i meet somebody like that they're unstoppable because Obstacles literally aren't obstacles to them. Yeah, we, and we've had clients like that. So vetting, I'll never forget, you know, I was, my, I was working with a daycare organization. They had multiple daycares. And one of the principles were when they were interviewing new clients, new, new parents bringing their kids in, they wanted to hear what they had to say about their last daycare. And basically, if the client went on and on about how bad the last daycare was. And they were, you could tell that they hadn't really resolved what they, the issues they had with the previous daycare. They wouldn't probably accept that, that couple because they know that sooner or later, they too will be that daycare. (laughs) They will be the one that they're talking about the next time they go somewhere. And that, but if they could talk about the previous daycare, about what didn't work, what worked, how they handled it, how they contributed to it, what they saw was wanted needed, and were you know more responsible about it. They knew that they had somebody they could work with. Yeah, you know, and there's two ways to think about this too. 
you know, people either look at a situation from the top down, from a principle into that drives everything that's going on. They're trying to find the, the key distinctions or principles that are driving the situation, or they work from the bottom up and they're looking at specific cases and they're saying, well, this happened, so I'm afraid that it's going to happen here or not. Both can be valuable, but if you're looking at specific cases, you got to look at a lot of them. Otherwise, you get prejudiced into the dynamics of that one case you're looking at. So I think both and is the case where you're looking at specific issues that have arisen in the past against principles, like what principles are driving these cases? And then if you can hold on to those, it's, it's easier to see what's going to benefit, you know, like what's going to really support your learning in the process, right? Because I think that's really what we're talking about. And if somebody's not open to learning, then they're going to take your tips, like they're going to want tips and tricks, and they're just going to rearticulate them in the same context, like you've, we've, that, that overused analogy of rearranging the deck furniture in the Titanic. So being able to, to kind of look across multiple situations and get a hold of what are the principles driving these things really helps the learning process and helps me stay open because I can see when I'm shutting down. I can see when I'm now going to withdraw, which means I'm going to shut off my ability to learn and, and that's going to shut off resource, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, obviously that's the overarching conversation that we're having, right? Is is anytime we're not getting connected, we're shutting off resource, we're shutting off possibility, um, and uh, we're not talking about the things that are under the table. So I think this has been incredibly powerful conversation. Anything you guys want to close with? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, when we're in these types of conversations the layers start to really pop up, mm -hmm. you know, about how even the exploration of, of it, I mean, for me is really fascinating, which makes me weird, you know, to most people is that, you know, I, which I'm getting more and more okay with as I mm -hmm. age. It's like, <laughs> you know, I was joking with the team last weekend and it's like, okay, I, I get it. I'm an acquired taste. Great. Um, uh, you know, but, but the uh, hot sauce, man, you got to get used to hot sauce. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. Not everybody likes hot sauce. No problem. <laughs> you got you to gotta like getting the sweat on. Yeah, yeah. And you even, you know, I mean, th this is where meaning a lot comes from me is like most of my suffering comes from avoiding or denying current reality. Most of my suffering, internal suffering comes from that or is a product of doing that for a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, so I mean, I really love this conversation because there's so much meaning and so much fulfillment and so much freedom that comes from that. Because, yeah, I'm an acquired taste. And sometimes I'm being that just because instead of, like, I don't have to be so acquired. I can I, it's no problem to go be a nice cold warm of milk or cold uh, glass of milk on a certain day. Like I can just chill out. Uh, but if I'm if I'm not watching it, I, you know, can just be that way. So, I mean, there's just so much freedom uh, you know, in this type of exploration. So it's just great to be in it. And so if maybe a final thought would be, you know, if you're listening to this and you find yourself angsty all the time, you find yourself concerned all the time, you find yourself, you know, playing chess, you know, when you're laying up in bed at night and you're playing chess with how to manipulate other people, how to get other people to do things, there's probably a lot of questions you aren't asking. 
um, about how else you could, about how else, what else is possible. If we, if, you know, if I notice my agenda and actually can dance with other people cause they have their own and, you know, and people don't need to be enemies. Um, but cause I've usually positioned them that way. And even if somebody is clearly positioned as a different sets of interests, embracing that instead of resisting that all already opens up possibility in the relationship. So, you know, that's, that's what this got me thinking about and, and really, uh, appreciate you stirring this convo up, Chad. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. And for me, I think the biggest thing is asking the question, what am I pretending not to know? Hmm. You know, hmm. I, it's like, there's always something I'm missing. So I wonder what I'm pretending not to know here. What am I not hmm. seeing because of what I'm so busy proving what I know. Yeah. And that, that I, you know, the part for me is that I have this, growing respect, I think, uh, far more cavalier as a young man. But as I've run over the edge of the cliff or into the wall multiple times, I realized that reality is unforgivingly complex. And it's worth stopping and wondering what I'm not seeing before I take off. Like, well, let's check this one more time before I put the pedal to the metal. You know, what am I really looking at? What am I pretending not to know here? Just to, to check in. Who can I, who can I ask? Like, you know, who can I, like, talk to? I, that's why I really like looking at, and I encourage companies to, when we go in and start working with them, let's look at some of the, your exit interviews. If you want to get some good feedback, let's see what's true about their complaints, and understand and see if that's something worthy of taking action on. Mm -hmm. I mean, any way I can get a look at what I'm not seeing. And, you know, we do that a lot, but it, it's, I don't think there's ever enough. Yeah. yeah. What's well, it's that, it's that the, what comes to mind is integrity. Um, and there's an old quote, I think it's an Earhart quote that he said, integrity is a mountain with no peak. Good. Just this idea that we're always, if we're going after, you know, living in alignment with like my insides and the, and, and my reality out there, like, that's an always and ever present conversation. So it's just a climb. That's what it is. That's all there is. It's just a climb. If there's no peak. We don't get to the end of it. If we stay committed to integrity. Um, and that doesn't have to be a bummer either. It's just this ever present conversation. Am I connected or not connected? Am I willing? Am I not willing? Am I open? Am I not open? Well, you know, you're, you're now you're hitting on evolve or die. You know, ignorance yeah. leads to death. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I think Miley Cyrus said something about that climb too. What'd she say? <laughs> it's the climb. Wrecking ball. <laughs> all right, gentlemen. Oh, that's the other one. That's that's the... Yeah, that's a, that's that's when you tear it all down. Yeah. <laughs> when I'm not embraced reality, I become a wrecking ball. Is that <laughs> <laughs> when I'm not climbing, I'm wrecking. Yes. Gentlemen, thank I'm you. I'm knocking off other climbers, actually. Like, here they come next to me. I'm like, no, get down. Get out of here. That's right. That's right. Thank you. Thank you so much for the conversation today. I'm so grateful. This has been, been fantastic. Thank you. Awesome. Love you guys. See you, man. Well, my friends, thank you so much for joining us for this conversation about connecting with current reality. I hope you got as much out of it as I did. I was furiously taking notes as we were talking and as I was listening back. 
so much goodness in here. If anything has struck you or anything has uh, moved you or entertained you, we encourage you to go to iTunes. Leave us a five-star rating and a glowing review. This really helps us grow the podcast and the community around the, the podcast. And ultimately, getting this conversation out to more and more leaders is so, so important. Also, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing this podcast with the leaders or the potential leaders in your life. Connect with us on LinkedIn. All three of us are on LinkedIn active there. We share a lot of other content on there as well from our trainings and from our coachings. We'd love you to be connected there with us. Please join us next week. We're interviewing Hendre Kotsia. He's he's an executive coach that is very, very exclusive, travels all over the world working with high-end business leaders, and he's got some great things to say about staying in the race. And until next week, lead on, my friends. Peace. Peace.